Making Media Tells a Story of Our Media Business Colossus. If you aren't familiar with our platform, make sure to check out joincolossus.com. There you'll find our latest episodes across each of our shows, the transcripts, supporting third-party materials, and even some written content as well. So whether you're an investor or an operator, we're out to create the content that we wish we had when we were in those exact roles. Invest like the best, business breakdowns, Web3 breakdowns, and founders each cover different angles of the ecosystem. And our special series like 50X and Return on India are targeting niche topics. Again, make sure to check out joincolossus.com for more on the platform. Let's do this. Welcome to Making Media. Humans are in an eternal quest for convenience. Save me time, make my life easier. My gosh, that was such a good start to an interview. Welcome back to Making Media. We are going inside Colossus today, but for this episode, we gave a microphone to a third family member, Mr. Eric Golden, the host of Colossus's own Web3 Breakdowns. And rather than always speaking on behalf of our hosts, we thought it was a good opportunity to let one of them do the talking themselves. We pitched this idea to Eric as a conversation about the art of interviewing. What's it like to start hosting conversations? How long does it take to get better? How do you measure it? And we thought this was a little bit different than speaking to somebody who's a true expert in the field, who, you know, it's their single profession. Talk to somebody who, similar to us, went through this process fairly recently and started from the ground up. So we talk a lot about what's it like to start? How long does it take to get better? How do you measure it? What are the tactics you use? So we go very deep into all the different things that are involved with hosting an interview show, an interview podcast. A few things to note, we hosted this conversation at Capital Camp, incredible conference we attend each year. You'll find a link in the show notes and hear us discuss the conference itself during this conversation. But that also means we were in person. First time that Dom and I got to interview someone in person. We were in leather chairs. I think the energy was a little bit lighter than usual. So you, you will hear that shift in tone. But we had Eric sandwiched in between us, put him in the crossfire and had an excellent time there. So please enjoy this conversation going inside Colossus. And again, with any of these inside Colossus conversations, we want your feedback on things that are helpful to cover. Please continue to send DMs however you prefer to send communication, whatever medium it is, we're open to it. Fire those through and we'll continue to host these on a somewhat regular basis. Thank you. All right, Eric, we are here live at Capital Camp, the best event for all of finance. Anybody interested in capital business building, it really is an excellent conference. And we're going to be talking about events at some point in the future on this podcast, maybe on this episode, who knows what we have in store today. But we wanted to bring on one of our own Colossus hosts to talk about the art of interviewing. And just to kick things off, I want to know who has inspired you as an interviewer? Who have you taken lessons from? Who do you look to for some tactical advice in being the craftsman that you are today? <laughs> I don't know about that. Well, thanks for having me. I was 100% Patrick. I knew Patrick's podcast before I got to meet him and become friends and work together. And I loved his interviews. I just felt like there was something about them, the quality of the guests, the type of questions he asked. So he was definitely inspirational and for better or for worse, I think when I first started, I was probably mimicking him too much. I was like, oh, this is what sounds good. I'll copy that. And then I think that there's specific people that I've started to study more that's completely accidental. So maybe we should start with that. Patrick asked me to do an episode on Bored Apes two years ago. I did it. And then he was like, hey, this is like the most Huckleberry thing ever. Uh, we have a show and I do want to be a host and we'll do it together. Then I got completely addicted to it. And now this is where we are. So it was definitely started with him. How do you think about going from, I've been going sort of 19 months or so now, from back then, obviously you talked about trying to emulate Patrick or going off kind of his best practices, I guess, that you'd learn. And now how do you approach your interviews and just think about kind of the arc of the conversation? I was one of those people that made fun of podcasts and I would just say like, there's way too many. Everyone has a podcast. I thought they were silly. People would do it and then quit. And so... I really wish I thought more about it, about my personality, that once I started it, I was like, I don't want to stop. 
until it got to like a hundred, I think. So maybe I'll quit at a hundred. I just wanted to like get... breaking news. <laughs> That's our last episode. Where are you now? I, I think I'm at sixty something. I think you just crept into the seventies. Oh wow! Whoa, Whoa. guys, giving him exactly too much credit over here to this guy. Committing to doing it every week and forcing yourself has been a lot of fun. And then I think it was like I remember the conversation distinctively, although it still rattles me. It was like episode twenty-seven. You called me. Matt called me and said. um, I should have told you this last week, but everyone was talking and like your episodes are really like hitting your stride. Like they sound different and it was very complimentary and I don't take compliments well, but then I was like, wait, what the fuck happened? I didn't do anything different between 25 and 28, but I think Patrick had given this advice. He said it was somewhere between 25 and 50 that you would just figure it out and you couldn't do it unless you had done 25 episodes at a minimum, but there's no like learning thing maybe you're just like your shoulders drop a little bit you get a little bit more comfortable it's not as like oh my god what am i gonna ask next did you make any tactical changes this is really like just you're telling people to go for 50 episodes which is good advice did you make any obvious changes in the early days which you felt were game changers for you 100 percent. i wrote every question early on how'd that go horrible (laughs) told me not to do it I was so afraid that there would be this death pause and I would be like lost in the conversation. I wrote out every question. I wrote up follow-up question. One of the things you learn is like time management. So I know what 30 minutes feels like now. I know what 45 minutes, you definitely don't know what that feels like. And you're just scared. Like, oh my God, I booked this person for 90 minutes. And now looking back on it, I probably had six hours of content prepared. And that was stupid because now you're like, oh shit, like where do I want to go next? And which question do I want to ask? That definitely changed. And that was probably the most area of tactical change was in the preparation work, how deep on questions did I want to go? And I would just say specifically to that, I've gotten to a point now where I have this idea of chapters. So there's the opening question, which is really important. And sometimes I'll develop that with the guest, which is like, don't ask someone, oh, like, what's your background? What do you cover? Like, like, just get a running start. And then I try to have like chapters in my head of topics that would make sense. And then I try to preview those two where I might have wrote questions down, but I don't want to ask them. I just want to have them because they're kind of inspirational later because the best conversations, they just go off on, oh, someone says something and then you just go down that path. Yeah, we find that on business breakdowns all of the time. The guests that come on having scripted out all their answers, as soon as they get a question that's not in their schedule, it throws them off completely. And also if they're reading out the answer, but they're trying to do it in a way that doesn't sound too formulaic. As soon as they miss a word, they're completely thrown off and they have to start again. Like, And it's the same with questions. If you ask a question you've written down and then they say something interesting and you're like, I should probably follow that thread, but it's not my next question, all hope is gone. We have guests sometimes where you ask a question that goes off structure. We give them a structure and you ask them a question that goes off structure and they must have written out a script that follows the structure so they completely don't answer the question that you just asked and you're like, oh, you're not listening at all to this question. So it works on both sides of the equation, I think. What does your prep process look like now? And what did it look like in the beginning? Like, how has that changed in terms of, you know who the guest is? And we'll talk a little bit about sourcing. You know who the guest is, what happens between then and actual recording day? So early on, it was like, obsessive where I would do like an internet deep creep and try to find every piece of information I could. Private investigators would have been put out of business <laughs> yeah. for the type of work that There's was going like, into this. It taking was... like the fidelity analyst level and finding out every piece of information. You wrote this tweet in 2013. Yeah. <laughs> and then I would try to listen to everything they had posted before. Like it got really intense and deep. To be honest, so I can tell you what's changed, but it's still like a work in progress. Like I'm still playing with it because I don't know what the answer is on the prep side. I know that the prep part for me is just part of my style to feel comfortable and not feel like you're not giving it your all. However, when I study other podcasts or creative processes, there is something about like being the fool in an appropriate way. I don't like the laziness. I don't like the podcast where it's like scrambling. It's like, hey, so who are you, dude? Like I've never met you. But then I also love the authentic questions because when you've studied so hard, you're like at a master's level and people might not even know this guest. It also depends on like the level of guest. If you're interviewing David Rubenstein or something, it's a completely different starting point than someone from like Web3 breakdowns that you've never heard of. And so if you go too deep, I think it can actually hurt you. And so I'm still playing with that. But right now I have a version of it that's indirect prep and direct prep. Direct prep is what I did a lot of early on 
reading everything, the internet stuff, the listening. The new version is like the pioneers do a great job of writing like a baseline foundation. Indirect prep is just kind of thinking about the person without going deep about it. I've thought about this interview probably for at least 10 hours. Since you asked me, we were going to do it. Living rent-free in that head. <laughs> That's what I mean. You told me I wanted to do it. So I was like, oh, I want to do a good job. So I just started thinking about different things that we could potentially talk about. I'm not like sitting at my desk anymore and be like, oh, when Matt asks this, I want to answer that. Yeah. And I think going back to what you were saying about kind of that 25 episode mark, the thing that was noticeable from my side, listening to your conversations that you were having, was that it felt like you relaxed into yourself. Initially, you were thinking about how do other people that I like do this thing? And then ultimately, you get to a point where you get worn down a bit. It's almost like looking yourself in the mirror after a point and being like, actually, that's not who I am. I'm just going to go with like what I'm generally interested in. And I'm going to ask it in the way that I would ask any of my friends any questions that I have that are on my mind. One thing I've noticed that you've done is you've changed the framing of questions. And I actually think this is a pretty cool art that people get better with. And one of the examples that I can remember is in an interview, you ask somebody the question of, how would your brothers have described you when you were a teenager? And to me, it just stood out. The amateur way is to say, what were you like as a child? To change the perspective into something like that is actually just great framing. Is that something you sketch out beforehand or are you just like off the cuff now the same way that Steph Curry can dribble through five defenders <laughs> at once? It's just intangible. I was off the cuff and I think it gets down to like your comfort level with the person. And that's one of the hard things. You get different interviews of the interplay between the host and the guest. Do you have a rapport with the person? So that was with Mags. I had known her, but I hadn't yet had like a deep conversation like on that way of a format. But as it went on, her story is just so amazing. You kind of became entranced by it. She's an amazing guest. She speaks all the time. So she's a very good command of her story. But then like pressing her into the personal side, that's like the area that I find the most fun. And that's probably the area of the most risk. How far do you want to push this person? I knew my personality. I didn't want to be like this crossfire. I'm not an investigative journalist. I'm a guy who ended up doing a podcast. Well, you are an investigative journalist for the preparation portion. Yeah, but not during the I never day. wanted people to like think you were trying to like get them. And you want to kind of show them in the best light. But I think that the conversations that I enjoy the most, I did prepare my favorite episodes from that I've studied. And one of the common things, there's a bunch of buckets I put them in, but is like the breaking of the mask. And so when you have really good guests, they like dazzle because they've done 60 minute interviews their whole life. That's actually why with the Joe Rogans and the Hubermans and the Lexes, the fact that they go for three hours as an outsider, I'm like three hours, who's listening to this stuff? But what's amazing is that you break someone, like nobody can hold their mask that long. And so you finally penetrate and you get to something deeper. And that's the part that I find so exciting. So the risk you're taking when you talk to someone like that question with Mag, it happened. I bet you the calculus in my head wasn't, how am I going to phrase this? It's like, this woman deeply respects her family. She really cares about their opinion. Their opinion probably matters more than her own opinion or that story. And it did feel like I was proud of that question after the fact you just even saying it again. But it really comes back to like, how far do you want to like go into this person's life in that you just met them potentially 15 minutes ago? Is there anything you found up front, either ahead of the recording or in the first like five, 10 minutes before you hit record? about trying to probe into that or just trying to build some chemistry and like, I'm getting a gauge here with this person of where I think I could take this interview or whether this person would be receptive to those types of questions. One thing specifically, the greatest secret or greatest gift of podcasting, and I think Patrick told me this one before we started, it was like the five or 10 minutes before the mic's on and the five or 10 minutes is off. People say all sorts of crazy <laughs> yeah. shit. People have said stuff that they can't repeat or that a lawyer told them not to say. The opening up typically at the end is quite interesting. But sometimes in the beginning, that is interesting to you, frustrating to me as a person that's in the business of podcasting. Yeah, it won't, it will, it's because once you turn on record, that's like the mask. Literally, you can see it get put on the face. Their demeanor changes how they're sitting because they're trying to present themselves and their version of themselves. And the minutes before that, there's like all sorts of questions, depending on how often they do it or stories they want to tell or what they want to go with. And so one thing I got style-wise, it also changed. Because I think early on, it was like, we don't send questions. We don't want it to be pre-scripted. So we usually tell our guests that. The two things that I would do now, I think one's more carroty and one's a little bit sticky, but I think it's true. This has been very powerful, is instead of hiding the questions from them, I think it was in the Rubenstein article. It was either in his book or in his interview. He talked about when he interviews people, he writes a bunch of questions, he sends it to them, and they says, I'm not going to ask any of these. 
but just so you know what I was thinking about to kind of get them on the same page. So what I do is I'll say, okay, this is what we were thinking about. Here are the chapters we want to go to. It's kind of like giving someone an outline of like, I want to talk about this part and then this part and then this part. And I think this will give you an arc. And so I've created a storyline with them. So the part that's interesting is that's the synthesis of what people don't know is there's a lot of work by a pioneer analyst, sometimes myself, then synthesizing that down to kind of a storyboard, then saying that to the person. I think that really helps. That gives like a really good flow. The other thing I was going to say, which I think has come up before, it happened to me and I was terrified. And it goes both ways, which is the notion of like our quality standards that we will not run every episode. That both terrifies people sometimes. I don't do this every time because sometimes it can set people off in the wrong way and scare them a little too much. But Patrick said that to me that the first time I was the guest, I was like, I'm kind of nervous. And he said, oh, don't worry. If this isn't good, we just won't run it. And I was like, fuck, <laughs> now I'm doubly yeah. nervous. Like, now I really want it to run. But I think that shows two things for the guests coming on. Like the quality standards matter and you really want to bring your A game, but also for the ones that are like that sucked and they don't want it to be aired and giving them kind of control. It's absolutely amazing. At Capital Camp, where we are, I've had multiple podcasters come up to me and talk to me about that very point that now it seems to be known that we do that. And they want to be able to do that. And it's so uncomfortable to do. It's all about the framing. And we've even had to do it on this show already, which is kind of tough. And yeah, it builds some type of expectation, also rapport that you're not going to make them look bad and air something that's bad. You mentioned you do get inspiration from other episodes. Give me some juice. What do you got? Come on, pull out the diary. This is what I was thinking about. I was going through my downloads and trying to see the stuff I liked. I was trying to find a theme. And so they're both like kind of style. So the first one was the Joe Rogan, Rick Rubin interview. I thought that was outstanding. And that kind of is a little bit of a foreshadowing of the other ones that I like personally. There was a couple of moments in that interview that I thought were excellent. One, I think Joe Rogan plays like, and I mean this the highest of complimentary ways. Jordan Peterson has a great chapter in his book about the fool, the honest fool, which is the highest compliment that you're like, it's basically a beginner's mind or a child mind. And that Rogan is outstanding at it. And so he's asking him about creativity and the process of where it comes from. And I think for everyone now, podcast, Substack, Twitter, whatever you're doing, it's just a form of creativity. And Rick gets into this description about different forms of it. And that really struck with me because it really is more about the process. And that's kind of where the prep comes from that I love the process part. But that podcast was about like the art of creativity. And I thought that was an excellent one. One thing from there was how he basically compares Eminem to Jay-Z and having produced both. Eminem, he says, anytime he's with Eminem, there's just books, he's just writing down stuff. And he asked Eminem, like, is that going to be in your next song? He goes, 99% of this will never, ever come out. But it's just a way for him to get out of his body. And he's like, Jay-Z has the most complex lyrics in the world. He just listens to the beat, does it, and can repeat. Prodigy. And he went on to do this with, like, stand-up comedy. He talked about, I think it's Chris Rock and Seinfeld, and, like, how hard they work. And I've just always considered myself that person. Like, whether it was sports, like, I would always get, like, most valuable player of sportsmanship just because of like work ethic. And I was always just a big believer is like, you're not naturally skilled. You just work really hard. So I always resonated with those people. So then the next episode, which is kind of like for our prep, but also my favorite episode that I realized this was more of a theme than I thought was Tim Ferriss, Jerry Seinfeld. I think Tim has some great episodes. I think he, he has more like volatility on my range of sometimes really great. There's some that just resonate with me deeply. And this one, and I think that's interesting it gets better to the authenticity of the host. I think this is not like that was a shade comment because I think it's more important to be authentic to the host than to play to your audience. I think that's where stuff goes downhill when people are like, oh, this episode works. So I want to repeat that over and over again. When someone says they've listened to every one of someone's podcast, I find that weird because I think that that means that they've come up with some prescription. You're literally at a conference where I think people have listened to every episode of Patrick. That's what I mean. When they say that and I'm like, really? You really have? It's one of those ones where I'm like, maybe it's possible, but it seems like that's less likely with a lot of hosts. But the Tim Ferriss Seinfeld one I thought was outstanding. Seinfeld gets into his process for creativity and how hard he works and the prep. And I just think that that's an outstanding one. There's like a 20 minute segment where they go really deep on Seinfeld's process, all the nuts and bolts of it. And I think the thing I appreciate much more now, having done more hosting, is actually how difficult that is to get someone to open up in that level of detail because so many people will give you the surface level answer, the thing that probably like will give you enough to move on to the next question. But then actually to ask very simple questions that allow someone to open up and say, 
yeah, I have this block of time where all I can do is writing. It doesn't mean I have to write, but I can't do anything else. And then go on to the next bit and the next bit and the next bit. And it is like a masterclass within the episode. And I think you don't give the host in that situation enough credit often because it feels like, oh, anyone would ask those questions. But I think when, you know, in our position now, it's easier for us to see how difficult that is because we were talking about it earlier. You kind of have these chapters that you know you want to get to. And then when it gets to this point, understanding how many questions to ask and how many questions not to ask is really interesting skill. You want to keep the conversation moving. When you get that level of detail, it's like mind blowing for the listener. We literally took that episode for a recording we did last week that we'll have played by this point, Morgan Housel. And Dom was like, I listened to this interview with Tim Ferriss and Jerry Seinfeld. This question got this great answer. And I want to figure out the same way to see if we can get to something similar. And we got some really excellent answers out of it, but more confirmation that good choice. I'll sign off on that one. I think like what makes a good episode and there's all sorts of different ones. So the first one was the Rogan one is he has a great style, but they had a guest talking about a topic that I'm fascinated in. With a deep voice, the Rick se- Rubin. <laughs> the second one is to your point, someone who is getting a guest that doesn't speak that often in that level of depth. The third I have is mastery. So mastery was Aswath Demerdan. I was lucky enough at Fidelity to take his class twice where he comes into Fidelity, he teaches a course for six weeks and you get to do it. And it's just unbelievable because you're like, this person has a mastery of all the stuff that people talk about all the time, but don't master. And his mastery is so high that when you ask him questions, like I couldn't hold that all in my head for the way he does. And so when Patrick had the interview, he was asking like a lot of questions that we just all wanted to ask. Damerdon's answers are so built on foundational truth, it's hard not to listen. But I just don't think there's many guests like that. That's what I would call like the mastery level. If someone masters a subtopic so deeply, those are amazing interviews. That's why I broke every download record. Did it? Oh, yeah. It's amazing. Smoked it. But it's really interesting to your point, like Patrick, after the, when we all sat around thinking, where's the next Aswath that we can bring on to have a very similar conversation? And I think the thing we got was the, the intersection of he has the theory from being a professor, but he also applies it. He's an investor himself. Often when you get the professors on, they're very theoretical. Then when you get the investors on, they're very practical. There's very few that can blend those two things and say it in a way that makes it very easy to understand for literally anyone. Because you could take the best investor in the world, would really get tons out of that episode. You could get a very new investor. They would also get a ton out of that. That was a perfect example of you ever tried to replicate that. That was like a lightning in a bottle. It would be a fool's errand. The next one's learning. So in this case, I'll go back to Invest Like the Best, which would be the Daryl Morey, Sam Hinky series. The whole Colossus family a lot of it is about like this driven i want to learn get bigger type thing can't see us <laughs> we're hugging as a family here and so like the hinky and daryl Morey ones are just like you want your brain to work more like them and that will attract people but those interviews were also good and this shows a different part of podcasting because patrick's personal relationship was so high the rapport is instantaneous so that's another thing that makes episodes great is that when two people just know each other there's like, I can talk to you guys a lot easier than I would talk to two random people about podcasting. So that rapport is a big one. And the last one, which I call vulnerable truth, my fifth category is the Gimlet Media stuff and making media. So I'll give credit to you guys. I think your episode, I talked to you about this before. I don't know if I told you this, Tom. I've told Matt, I love this shit. I don't do it. I want to do it. But the honest feedback of like what's happening in real time, I think people love because those other categories are great. But the Vulnerable Truth podcast, there's something about them that's just so authentic. And it's just hard for people to do that. Those are some of my favorites. So I think this is a great one. We'll see how long it lasts. <laughs> yeah. And my bonus one I would put is the Barry Weiss episode on Passover. Barry Weiss probably represents the best prepared podcaster in the world. It's like an outstanding level. Like she's actually a real journalist. Like Absolutely. Yeah. In front of a microphone. Her episode on Passover is outstanding. Interesting. Only one I haven't heard of that series, which I will have to check out. Those were all excellent opinions. Just to bring it back to your point on Patrick with Daryl and Sam, I think there was an interesting thing on trust. And there was an interesting thing with Patrick's conversation with Daryl, where he said to us afterwards, I might have had to tell myself to take it easy. It was like I had too much coffee that morning. And my impression was like, no, you sounded like you were having a ball of a time asking those questions and like basically playing crossfire. It was like, what rules would you change in soccer? That was probably the only time we've gone truly viral. I was listening to other sports podcasts where people were referencing that podcast, which is pretty interesting. Like, it's not what we set out to do. If it happens, it's great. 
But I do think it was a dynamic of feeling comfortable and just getting into a groove where you're like, okay, I jive with this person. And Daryl was really nervous because I listened to the unedited version of it, the raw one and going through it. And he was super nervous both at the beginning and at the end. And I think the comment from Patrick was that I think Daryl thinks that there's at least 20% that we can cut from there because like he was just rambling or whatever. But that's probably what we ended up cutting. But at the beginning, I was surprised someone of that stature and he's obviously, you know, in the media a lot. And then for Patrick then to like bring the best out of him and make sure that he kind of eases into the conversation. And then they just talk about the stuff that he thinks about deeply that isn't necessarily like his day job, but the stuff that kind of around it that he can apply into other areas. The prepared thing, there's two points that kicked there for me. It was like, one, it's kind of like innovation or whatever the quote is about meets the prepared mind. You're preparing, but to your point earlier, you can write this outline, but the best podcast is when I find you're in this flow is you're just kind of deciding where to go in the conversation. That specific part of the soccer thing, it wasn't like he like planted that one. He asked a question and then Daryl's like, I've been thinking about this thing and then just shared it. I'm like, holy shit. That's his like third thought. His tertiary thought is more interesting and original thought than most people's like primary thought. And I think that's one of the hardest parts that I find is like one thing that I struggle with is there's a really good question or you want to double click, but the person doesn't take a breath. Let's just say they say like point one, then they hit point two, and now they're on point three. And you really wanted to ask on point one, yet you're so far removed, you kind of have to go against three. And so that's kind of the fun of it is it's very much like dancing. I did want to ask you about that, but I can't go that far back because you've already like gone down this new path. So like, let's see where this takes us. I noticed on stage today, there was one of the hosts actually had to interrupt one of the guests who was giving some answers, did it seamlessly. It's very hard to interrupt and not make it an abrupt interruption, but they did it very well and steered the conversation into like a good direction. Do you ever do that? What you just described, I deal with, I feel like a lot on breakdowns where it's like, okay, this was a monologue and I wanted this portion of the answer, but you just gave me all this, this and this. And it's very hard to interrupt. Do you interrupt? I interrupt sometimes, but I think that I usually value, this is like where it's like these awesome trade-offs of art, of the flow versus the information. So how deeply important was that point versus I don't want to break the flow? I definitely probably tilt towards flow versus interrupting unless that was one of our main chapters and we just skipped by it because you wanted to talk about your business or you had a thought about something else that triggered. Do you ever feel like flow doesn't exist because answers are so long because there's conversations and then there are monologued answers. That was a loaded question, by the way, an incredibly leading question. No, 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 you definitely do. I mean, you see people that are nervous, so they're talking too long and they're not answering the points succinctly. You see people that get the whole, like, I really wanted to say this thing. You ask them about apples and they start talking about Canada and you're like, what? But I think a good host, or at least the way I think about it is it's like your job to make the person in the best light and then kind of handle that. And so I think it's the same thing of like, I love when you go to a dinner party or you're at a conference and you're just asking someone a question. I don't know if it was on a podcast I heard about this, but I'd heard like Martin Short was the best dinner guest. And someone had said that they went to a party with Martin Short and Steve Martin and they're like, what was it? They're like, the guy just was like the most incredible questioner. Like everyone who like studies conversational tactics, say the other person's name, ask them a lot of questions. And then someone's like, that was such a great conversation. And then you realize you didn't say shit. You just ask questions. And if you can get that person going, usually I value that more. But yeah, there's times where you're like, Jesus, I've had to tell people, I mean, on episodes we've cut, that's probably the hardest thing I've ever do. I definitely had to stop an episode and be like, just take a breath. You know this content. Don't be so nervous that you're like rambling. It's interesting, Nick Khan, who runs WWE now, but was a CAA agent, used to tell his clients, I heard this in a Richard Deutsch interview with some of the ESPN guys that he used to represent. When they ask you a question, instead of answering that question, answer the question you wanted them to ask. And if you listen to Nick Khan do it, he's an A plus at you don't even notice. It's kind of seamless where he doesn't answer it, but he gives you this really thoughtful, deep voiced answer. And I think there's some people who probably get trained to do that and don't do it with nearly as much polish. We were trained as PMs to do that. We had three points every time we spoke publicly. We would talk to those three points and we wouldn't answer anything else. So interesting. Are there any signposts in the conversation that you look for? They say something along these lines, then I want to ask that question. And I think I bring it up because Patrick has always said, if someone says, and we can come back to that, that's the question to ask right now. Yeah, I definitely try not to come back to that or we'll get to that later. That's probably the greatest example of the interruption versus the flow. Let's just say I have 
topic one, two, three, four, and we're at one and suddenly they bring up four. This happens quite a bit. I don't ever say like, oh, I'm going to say that flavor. I just go. But I also just, again, probably getting more comfortable. I truly think the best podcast, I gave you categories, my favorites. To me, it's like the best dinner party and nobody knows it's being recorded. A time where you probably had a couple of drinks, so maybe you're a little bit more comfortable and ease. People probably share information or get into a topic. And if you said something and Dom's just like, oh, I did this thing. And then that's like where I'd want the conversation to go. Yeah, I think that's the thing with Rogan as well. Like, it's not just the three hour conversation you see. It's the, if you read about the process that guests go through before they even get to the room in which they record, they're being given like shots of energy if they want it and various other things are in this really weird and wacky studio that's got gyms in and strange creatures. All of this stuff plays to the fact that when they get to the recording booth, they're in a slightly different state of mind than they would be for us. We don't quite have that luxury. When people come onto our shows, they're probably in their office. They've just come from something, thinking about their day-to-day. We're now asking them about both that and other things. Like Taking them out of context is so powerful in an interview. If we can think of ways to encourage our guests to be like in a slightly different frame of mind than they are like in the hour before and the hour after that. What if you gave them like really spicy wings? And you made them eat it. Matt just keeps saying this. Is this like sponsored? Yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> no, it's the guy. I don't know who does it. The guy who gives the spicy oh, yeah, wings. Oh, yeah, those memes. It's just changing the frame of mind that you're in. You're more likely to open up if your mouth is burning off. If this was all I did, I would definitely have a studio and I would definitely fly people in and I'd want everything to be in person. I would not want to do the Zoom videos. I'd want to do live in person in a different setting. Cool. It's all we do. <laughs> Someday. Yeah, exactly. But you're going to finish after episode 100. So you're going to retire. What a one's going to be crazy. You talked a little bit about guests and getting into their personal stories. You have probably the most interesting topic in terms of who it uncovers and who we have on as guests. And we have had some very interesting guests on with some very interesting backgrounds and have honestly, I'm proud of it. Maybe some of it's luck, but I'm proud of the way that we have navigated those seas. How do you approach that? Because you know you're dealing with an area of the market that, because money moved so fast, because there were so many dollars going into it, it was going to attract some unique characters. How have you approached that? Just because I know you're super ethical. You come from a institutional background. You had all types of things with reputation to think about, but you have created in this space? Yeah. So I definitely think there was a framework coming into it of my name and my reputation are more important than a podcast show. That being said, I'm always super curious about the frontier and people trying and experimenting. And anytime you have a new technology where there's money involved, there's going to be brilliant people trying, but there's also going to be scams. That's not a crypto web three thing. That's an everything. I'm sure there's going to be a hundred AI bullshit companies that are spun up that do absolutely nothing. Just like there was a hundred cloud companies that didn't do anything, but then there's the snowflakes and there will be chat GBT and there will be Ethereum. like stuff will happen. Right. And so I wanted to be in that space, but I knew that you were kind of delving into the risky and the strange. And what's interesting is I think by holding that line, We could have had a show that's numbers went bonkers in the rip if we went after a certain type of guest, but we really just didn't go that way. And we kind of kept true to like, we want to talk to traders, investors, builders. We steered away from the like, let's just do influencers or the hot topic of the month. And again, that maybe some that was by accident of trying to be more evergreen than really current. I think if you were really current in a fast moving market, you were more likely to get in trouble because what happens when you try to be really current is you're just forced deeper into consumerism versus teaching. What I mean by that is like when someone has a book, they go on every podcast. So the Rick Rubin thing, that was the predecessor to like this crazy book tour. So suddenly this person who hadn't spoke, spoke everywhere. So when you go on a book tour, it's kind of lame. Like they're speaking and now they've really got their mask on. They just wrote a book for six years. So those are some of the worst ones. And if you do more long form, you try to steer away from that, I think it forces you to kind of a different clientele. Like you're not talking to me for a conversational one. And even when you do it, it kind of depends on like what's the relationship and the rapport with the person. So it's something I'm proud of. It's something I worry about. I will worry about as long as I put my name on something. You're going to get guests that have shadier pasts, that have had interesting stories that might have a shadier past in the future. Shady future, not a shady past, I guess. And that's the other part of not doing the 
investigative journalism side of like, let's go poke at this thing. But if you know someone was like a known fraud or something, yeah, I wouldn't want to have them on. But I think the SBF interview, I didn't do that one, but like that was an interesting interview. It's this balance too of the personality type I have of being excited about the new and just always trying to make sure that that comes off as authentic curiosity and not as a mark of like approval. Just because I'm curious about it doesn't mean I'm like, go spend all your money on it. How do you think about progress with a show? At the end of the week, when you reflect on your podcasting efforts, like what are you thinking about in terms of whether I had a good week or an average week or whatever it might be? I used to ping you guys about the numbers all the time because it was just like analytical and you wanted to see that. But I really try to think about listening to other podcasts and then thinking about what went well. What do I want to try or what do I want to do um, for myself? So sometimes it'll be like, that went really well, but I could have been more critical or I could have debated more or pushed back more. One thing I did, another change, it's hard for me to listen to myself. Do you listen to the episodes back? Very rarely. Someone was talking about this, about how, I think it was Peter Atia talked about he thinks if he had more time, he would listen to his episodes because he thought it would get better. But something I knew I was doing, like this is what I mean, I can review it without actually listening to it. I'm not going to name anything now. There's no hot takes, don't worry. I don't like podcast hosts that talk over their guests. <laughs> the guest is what the audience wants to hear. And I think for a while, I was like not even giving my opinion. I would just try to like ask a question, like kind of step out of the way. And then... I think I was doing that too much and I started to talk. I think that might have been one of the changes where I was like, okay, like I don't totally agree, but I don't want to like get in a fight over it. I just want to give my opinion or that made me think of this thought and then actually proactively just giving my opinion. That was another thing I, I learned. Sometimes statements are better than questions. The person naturally just speaks anyways. That whole fear that they're not going to say anything is completely irrelevant. Nobody shuts up once they're on the microphone. So if you just want to say something like, I think this about that, you'll get a cool reaction. And sometimes that's better. And it breaks up the just the question, answer, question, answer. I think this is a really interesting point about interviewing. An often repeated thing is just to stay out of the way and let your guests speak as much as possible. And I think that's true. But there's a really big caveat that your listener also wants to hear what you have to think about it. And it doesn't mean you need to go on a monologue for minutes on end. But if you can say something quickly that either agrees or disagrees or pushes back slightly or carves the next question into a response to the previous answer, then that's really, really powerful because the questions that feel like they have no flow and you're not guiding the listener along with you are really tough to listen to because you have to be in control of the conversation and the dialogue and help the listener out. And this goes to the point of like people listening to podcasts, they're commuting, they're washing the dishes, they're doing other stuff. And so their brain will not always be 100% focused on the conversation. So when they hear another voice again, which tends to be yours as the questioner, you can bring them back into the room and be like, okay, agree, disagree, whatever it might be. And here's the next question. And then it draws them back into the conversation. Some hosts, though, are so unwilling to do that, that you have to set up quarterly recaps with them yeah. just to put them as the guest on their own show just to get them to talk yeah. more about their own opinion. I want to do that. Is. <laughs> it's like crazy. I like those. Yeah. Those who do the best, which is always surprising at first. I remember looking at the numbers and seeing how well the quarterlies did. And I was talking to Riggs at Barstool. And I said, like, I had this big person on and they had millions of followers. And I thought that would go well. I mentioned this phenomenon. Is like the thing is with big people, they produce five episodes a week. They're everywhere. So if you search them and podcast search remains a horrible unsolved problem. And then this is what happened. You interview a big person, but there's like a hundred interviews with Richard that person, Branson, right? There's so many people. And so it's not like your fault. It's just not the same connectivity. And I was asking Riggs about this idea that like when I was speaking as the guest, it went well. And his theory from the Barstool side, they have way more success in podcasting just with different genres is that the audience you've got like hardcore listeners that listen to a lot and then you feel that are kind of coming in and coming out depending on their interest in the topic level but the host is the consistent thing and that host is like their guide through this world they're navigating they're kind of following you along which feels like a tremendous responsibility but it gives you a chance to turn the microphone and speak to them directly which is the character in their mind that's kind of evolving yeah, I believe it. And you see it with some of the major podcast studios like The Ringer. Bill Simmons used to have an interview pretty much every show. Now it's his childhood buddies and his college buddies that are on. And it's the reoccurring cast of characters where they have this really strong rapport. And I think they still do some guest interviews, which typically revolve around 
book tours or movie releases. So there's usually some type of transactional element to it. But it's notable in terms of thinking about audio as a intimate medium and what you're actually there to listen to. Yeah, so many podcasts as well start as interviews and gradually over time become more and more just they might have a co-host talking amongst each other or the team that they work with. One side of that is just as easier. There are lots of scheduling nightmares with either finding someone, bringing them on the podcast, making sure the conversation is good, like we've talked about here. And then there's the other side of it that people are generally curious to hear what the host has to say about stuff. And we see it with your guys' stuff every three months. It's like some of the best performing episodes consistently because people are keen to have a check-in with you after three months, particularly in a fast-paced world like you live in. That was a statement that you were supposed to make a response to. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Do you take any inspiration from video interviews oprah charlie rose david letterman it's another leading question (laughs) well when i asked you about your favorite interviews i just thought this was interesting because i did not give you much guidance i did that about four hours ago in terms of episode prep this is not going to go into the hall of fame of best prepared episodes but with that specific topic i just said interview and you went specifically to podcast which i think makes sense we're running a podcast but in the back of my head i was actually thinking quite a bit about video. And I actually think Oprah is pretty awesome in terms of how she gets people to open up. But anybody else in that video medium? I would say Howard Stern's my favorite. The thing that I like is connecting with people. And that is that getting through, getting people to be truthful. And that's like a setting where you're on a couch and people open up and they say stuff. And Oprah definitely had that Phil Donahue, those type of interviewers that got the people talking in a way some interviews are way more tactical that they get the information out or they let the person speak but i'm always just way more interested in anyone who gets to like that deeper exposed more vulnerable version what does howard stern do because i don't know him very well at all but he comes up all of the time talking about when in terms of not understanding pop culture <laughs> this guy over here yeah the world doesn't revolve around so the US. <laughs> i think that from what i've studied about it first of all it's probably one of the most prepared shows in the world like this is another thing of like preparation the things that look great are always so well prepared people would celebrate steve jobs as like this iconic brilliant person but i remember i was doing a pitch and i just studied someone had written a paper about how steve jobs pitched and like broke it down like there's a problem and then they're hey there might be a solution but then back to the problem to the solution back to here's our problem oh one more thing and like he had this like cadence Every word was prepped, every pause, every like look down and like these mannerisms were made for an impact. And I think Stern's like that too. Put a bunch of people in a room, put a microphone on, there's podcasts that do this. It sucks. But when you listen to them, it's so well prepared, it doesn't sound like it's prepared, but there's no way you could talk for that long without it being prepared. And then the next thing is he's extremely vulnerable about himself. He talks about his childhood, his marriage, everything. He shares everything. And then that got people on the other side of the microphone to kind of start doing the same thing. So he gets them into, it's like a dark room and he's behind a microphone. You can't even really see him. Then there's a couch. It looks like a therapy session. And he gets people opening up in a way that they just wouldn't in any other setting. Do you think Joe Rogan is today's Howard Stern? I think Howard Stern stays Howard Stern. I think Joe's style is different. Seinfeld has this quote, there has to be some deep-seated emotion inside you that like makes you want it. And whether it's like a big trauma or a small trauma, there's like some, I've always been interested like where people's like drive comes from to do that. And Howard's is very clear of like his growth. Joe's is I'm a curious person type thing. It's usually very topical. And he learns about that topic from like a UFO to Elon and rockets. And he gets people talking, but not like the humanity side that Stern gets to. Even Letterman did that Netflix series after. And when he brought Stern on, Stern talking to Letterman about like the personal beef they had and how like angry he was and how he was just an angry person and like really wanted to do well and prove himself in the world. It was just so real. Him and Oprah too. Where does your motivation come from? Your whole career was spent in finance. You're still very much in that world, but also now a creator, if you like, I guess. What is your motivation now with the podcast, the deep-seated stuff that makes you get up in the morning wanting to do it? I would say I always consider myself probably a creative person, and it's been like an awesome treat. Like It is truly a creative outlet. It scares me every week. I get nervous before every episode. Prep is just kind of like an anxiety reducer. 
of like, oh, if I prep, I'll like slow down my concern that I'm not going to do well. And so you want to do a good job. But the truth is, one thing about podcasts, and now I kind of understand a little bit more, is like it's the greatest excuse to talk to people. Like it's hard. Maybe it's not hard for other people, but like, hey, do you want to talk to me? Everyone's stupid. Like, can we hop on a Zoom for 30 minutes? No. But then if you're like, do you want to go on 90 minutes on a podcast? Sure. And suddenly you get more yeses than noes. So that part is definitely a fun part of it. But it's almost just become more of like a personal challenge to like keep going, try to add value. Like nothing is better than when someone's like, you hear the conference. You kind of assume no one's listening to you. That's also why the numbers were helpful because I'm like, does anyone actually listen to you? The downside of podcasts is you don't get that feedback of whether it's like Twitter or Substack. So you just don't know. And so when someone comes up to you, like, oh, I really like that episode or I did this thing because of that. That's very rewarding. It's a fun new expression. I enjoy talking. I enjoy talking to people. It's a lot of fun for me. It is weird when you publish a podcast episode. Even if you see the numbers, it's hard to square that with people. It feels like data. And then when you meet people who have listened to your show, it's like, oh, this is a thing. Or when people send me screenshots of them listening on Spotify or Apple or whatever it is, it's a weird feeling. Just a very quick aside. This just happened today. We try to give our guests an idea of what it's like. So we decided to roll out this thing where after the episode, a week later, we will send the download data. And it's typically like that is like standing in the middle of Madison Square Garden and having a full arena. And this week on Business Breakdowns, we let the guests know that it would be like standing inside the University of Montana football stadium around a full crowd. I don't know how that got across, but I think Dom was in charge of that or somebody that did not really consider the fame of the stadium involved in this. Here's the backstory on that. Every week, I have to vet this email that goes out. And every week, the numbers are slightly different. Generally, the episodes are within a band. It doesn't move too much, but the stadiums need to change because the capacity is obviously different. And every week, I have to change the stadium. And this week, so happened to be at a conference. I looked at it and I thought, you know what? I don't know what that stadium is, but I double-checked that it actually had the right capacity, and it did. And I was like, <laughs> I'm just going to let it go. Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't know why it took so much joy out of that but the host on the episode immediately emailed us and was like i think we need to pick a better stadium than university of montana yeah but it's hard to really imagine what it's like for all these people listening but you actually do have people on the other side of it where do you think the medium goes just your outlook you've been doing this for a while i think you've gotten value out of it but there's only so much time people have to listen to things there's a lot of interesting people doing these what do you think could take off in terms of podcasting as a medium, whether it's interview shows, doing them differently. If you were to actually give somebody advice in terms of starting something and starting something that they could get a lot of value out of and you decide what value means, what would your advice be? Well, I think that the thing about podcasting, the first word that comes to my mind is like the intimacy. You're talking in someone's ear and that feels really powerful. And so much so that like, I know that for people who have bigger shows or even the guests that talk a lot, strangers who have never met them feel like they know them. And I don't get that with books. When I read a book, I'm not like, oh, I feel like I know the author. But with a podcast, it's almost a weird thing of like, oh, that's Sam Hinky. I don't know him, but like, I feel like I know a weird you amount know of information about philosophy him. philosophy too. But he doesn't know the strangers staring at him or whatever. That's weird. <laughs> that is weird for the record. <laughs> you know I mean? It's just a weird thing. I think there's something about the podcast medium that is special and untapped in that way, that people feel like they know the person in a much deeper sense than they could. So like the time per connection level is high. I think that people are doing interesting things. So like David Sender is obviously kind of the most interesting new thing that's come around, even though it's not new, he's been doing it for a while, but then you guys brought him on Colossus, now it's blown up. The single person, passionate, I put him in another category, just like pure passion about something. That's like an interesting take on it. I think the advice would be that if you're going to do it to stick with it would be like kind of my thing of like don't stop doing it like keep going and then the funnel with which you get to talk to is a big deal i love web3 breakdowns and it's fun and i think it's important that you're producing inside a niche but there's definitely times i'm sure lots of other creators too it's kind of like invest like the best like it was an investor thing and then it started to branch out just to like interesting people and i think people just want to listen to interesting people because the episodes are so volatile of like the type of person you get and the level you hit, what's happening. You want to have the most flexibility. Yeah. But you have to give people early on a reason to listen to you. 
that's where you have to start with a point. And then after that, once you've got a following, you can start moving in different directions. It was told to me on this show from Matt that you wanted to change the name of the show. Oh my God. Talk to me about this. <laughs> I said that I didn't like the name Web3 Breakdowns. It was there before me. Well, it wasn't there before you. The show already existed before me. No. You launched. You no, no. Patrick was the host. Your episode was the first episode. Oh, it was like, oh, which we name it. Like, I didn't even know it was going to be it. What would you go with? Oh, man. You ever hear that thing? Like, the first thing you learn when you get into the workplace is if you're going to have a problem, come with a, a solution. solution. <laughs> yeah. This is definitely a curveball. You can email hello at uh, yeah. Gotcha. <laughs> exactly. Well, so I think part of it, there's a couple of things. I think the biggest issue, less so just a general name, is that like Web3 has become such a loaded word for people. Oh, is crypto better? No, no, there's really a good answer. Digital breakdowns. <laughs> <laughs> well, like, the one thing I love, I do find funny is like when the market's going down, I'm like, it literally is breaking down. We're just showing the whole thing <laughs> fucking collapse on itself. So that part makes me laugh. It's a simple pleasures. <laughs> the thing about Web3, less so, because you guys think about it from the outside world and the inside world. Actually in crypto, and we've talked about this in prior episodes, oh, yeah. Web3 is a subculture. So there's traders that don't want to be associated with Web3 because they want to be like, we're crypto or I'm a blockchain company. The word originally was meant to be all-encompassing, but unfortunately it's become like a tribe. So it's like, we call ourselves a republic, but now you're the Republican Party type thing. So the word itself turned into this thing where people think that you're just about like JPEG pictures or you're just about tokens of like reward points. And they don't know that you're interested in tokenization of real world assets or you're actually interested in high frequency trading. And so that's where it's a little bit, I think the name, but I don't have a better answer, so I won't bring it up again until I have a solution boss. <laughs> I bet you will. <laughs> We're all ears. <laughs> <laughs> Let me know what people think the name should be. Any other changes you plan on making? Oh, I'm sure tons. I want it to get better every time I do it and want to try to figure out interesting ways to do it. I mean, I definitely think that the guests are such a huge part of it. Like, I'm grateful for all the guests that come on and do it. That's probably where the most fun is. You're adapting to the type of guests you're going to get. Some guests are extremely polished. Some guests are raw, but brilliant. What's your process for sourcing guests? Like, where do you generally find them? A lot of it is just reaching out like on Twitter or something. It gets better as the show gets bigger. That definitely helps. People will recommend stuff. Now that the show is bigger, we definitely get PR. I did not realize like how big the podcast guest industry was, that there are people that put people on shows. So this is amusing because Web3 Breakdowns of all our shows gets the most amount of people reaching out to say, please, can I come on the show? I didn't know that. It's probably 100x more than every other. No hyperbole. That's genuine. The amount of people that want to come on and then like we have to like, kind of go through is surprising. So I didn't know about that. The best ones are usually the people that I'm interested in that I want to have to go talk to. That's the one thing is like, if they haven't heard our show and I say Web3, so like one thing I thought that wasn't true, it was just a different world. I'm like, oh, it's Patrick O'Shaughnessy. They're like, who? They're not from TradeFi and they don't know our world unless they're like the other side. This is some developer who's a genius person we're trying to get on and they've never heard of us or the show. And so like those are the ones, but it helps as you get better guests, those guests will vouch for you. So like right now we're in a little spot where like, there's a bunch of big traders we had lined up, but with the market and the regulatory crackdown, a lot of people have been a little bit less excited to be doing like public media appearances. So that stinks. The scheduling of the guests is probably the most stressful thing of wanting to have guests out. And that's like the streak thing of like trying to keep that part. That part is definitely the most stressful. Yeah. I find it really interesting that you have so many people, it seems like, that are still moving into blockchain, crypto, Web3, whatever we want to classify it. I don't want to piss anybody off and <laughs> alienate. Come from the credit world. Oh, my God. The fixed income community still seems to be huge. And I think it's logical. It's like how screwed up that market is relative to the other market. But it's really interesting to me that that continues to happen where you've had people recently and it's happened time and time again. As a fixed income guy, this is like us hating on the equity guys. If we're going tribe versus tribe of like how the equity guys just ruin everything with crypto, what the fixed income people see is system problems that moving money. Because to be a fixed income person, you're going to geek out about the debt ceiling. People that are breathlessly screaming at each other that don't understand that. And the same people would scream about stuff. I've never like figured out a balance sheet or understand how overnight repo works. Just dorky, dorky stuff. Fixed income attracts dorks that get into like really dorky problems. And crypto has a bunch of really interesting solutions 
that are just naturally attractive. If you ever struggled with those problems and not done the fancy fun stuff, but like the really like plumbing, then crypto is super interesting. But when the equity people come in, like it's all about valuations and multiples and this thing's worth $18 trillion, that's where it gets all wacky. So the fact that I'm fixed income crypto, I still got this question. I just got it before I came in here of like, how are you doing both? Or how does that make any sense? And then I usually realize like that could be a very honest question. But if you know anything about fixed income, you're so obvious, like why there's a crypto connection. Just call it like credit disruptor breakdowns. <laughs> That's a horrible one. How do you guys like doing it? The podcast? Yeah, this one, the making media stuff. Like, how do you like now being on this side? Do you have a different appreciation for the hosts and all the pain and suffering we go through to? I do. Honestly, the toughest thing is having a co-host and when they're not bringing their A game, it's tough. You got to pick up your teammate. You go from playing singles to playing doubles. Like when you took paternity leave and Dom crushed it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the numbers are squarely back down. <laughs> now the Matt's back in the fold. squarely back down. There was actually a lot of conversion, which was from my return. Yeah, they were still like, living, oh, still living off my wake. He's back. <laughs> so I definitely have a ton more respect for hosts. We talked about this a bit. There's a few things that I have a lot of respect for. One is people who have long podcasts. Anything over an hour and a half is tiring. So you were bringing up the Rogan thing about them doing three hours. We did one that lasted two hours, two weeks ago, and we were exhausted by the end, but the guest was just like running full sprint steam and he was like double our age. Was it Senra? It was Todd McFarlane. He did this awesome conversation on IP and- Oh my God. Long history in comics. He created Spawn, drew yeah. the Amazing Spider-Man, introduced Venom, big deal. And the guy could just go. And I was like, blood sugar was low. I needed to like get some caffeine in me. It was crazy. So built different, some of these podcast hosts. Yeah. So, I mean, there's that very simple things like that. I have much more respect for those little elements than I ever did before. And I think this is always the thing whenever anyone asks whether they should start a show or they come and say, hey, I'm thinking about doing this thing. What should I know? And they're always asking for tactical stuff. Like, how should I draw my artwork? What name should I give this thing? Like, it's always the artwork. Yeah. What sector should I focus on? I'm like, the only question at this point is like, why are you doing it? Because if you don't have a genuine reason for doing it that will sustain, then there's literally no reason for you to start this thing because they're real labors of love. I guess most of the time it feels like a lot of hard work and perspiration because it's a really long term effort. It's very difficult to build a podcast big quickly. The only way to succeed often in this world is just to survive first. And over time, like you're talking about how guests can vouch for new guests to come on the show early on when you get your first bigger guest it's massively helpful to bring in the next one because you can say oh this person's been on our show and that's validation without having any like numbers behind it and obviously the more you can do that and then your numbers start to grow and then you've got two points of validation for the next guest and it's just a very very slow snowball that rolls down the mountain and the mountain's not that steep but you have to like just keep pushing it along and without a core motivation or reason to like get up in the morning and be like hey i want you to book the next guest then there's just no hope and you should rethink what you were trying to do yeah, I can't believe how many people want to start a podcast or think it's like easy. This is why I was kind of like, it's like a bad contrarian side of it. And now that I'm in it, I really do truly enjoy it. I think we should have a media brand or we're going to go yeah. add a podcast. I'm like, all right, like how much energy or time or willingness do you have? Your point is a good one of like, if you're not into it, then what you're going to do, which I think is what a lot of happens is people start and they do like six episodes or they don't do it. When we talked about like, oh, should we do monthly or weekly? It's hard. When I look at the ones that do more regularly ones, another version, like the fun two people or like the all-in stuff, that's fantastic. But it's completely easier to schedule yeah, yeah. than the guest interview stuff. We just have Dom ask him in his British accent, do you got that dog in you? And that <laughs> answers pretty much everything. Exactly you right. It's not do you ever work. have episodes where it comes out well, but you didn't like the guest and you were like, that sucked? Way more than I would like to admit. And this is a really interesting point. And I was going to ask you this question, but I'll just answer it first from our perspective is the thing that we've kind of honed in on. Obviously, we have the debrief on this show, but at the end of the conversation, we look at each other and we think like, how did that go? The way we're starting to measure that is by how many original things we heard. Because like you're saying, when you do prep ahead of time, you kind of expect your guests to say certain things. And if they just read those out, it's like not that interesting for you as a host to ask and get those answers back. But when you ask questions that you think you're going to get 
this response and you get that response that makes you think way more and by the end of it you're like okay we got a ton of original stuff there that i wasn't expecting i think that was a very good conversation and then you go and listen back and maybe you think slightly differently about it but it generally correlates pretty well to like a good episode and that's kind of how we think about it i don't know if you have a same similar experience or not or how you judge the show in real time i just feel like i'll have a feeling I used to call Matt after every episode and say like good, bad, or like I'd rate myself. I don't do that as much anymore, but I think I have a better sense of it. And it usually is for me, original thought is amazing, but that's rare. Even the scheduled frameworks are good. Like the person has a framework, but they explain it in a nice way. But usually it's more of like, wow, that was really fun. I can just kind of tell, but it's more of like, I have like a thumbs up, thumbs down direction. Not like a I'm not going to like be able to guess the amount of listeners. No, and I think like your listeners are so diverse that some will love an episode and some will hate the same episode and like you can't please everyone and ultimately you've got to please yourself first. I think that's the thing. I think I have the worst correlation between something that I think turned out well and the actual performance of it. Yeah, you're definitely in your own head at this point. It's not even my own head. Sometimes I'm judging the guests, to be honest, but some of these episodes people love. you think they're love. good and they're not good? You think they're bad? They're Usually good. I think they're bad and they're good. But you're like the person who's like, oh, I took the test and I got it. Not at all. Not at all. I will bask in glory. I am very confident in myself when it comes to being confident in myself. Restoration hardware is a phenomenal breakdown. You keep tweeting about it. (laughs) I tweeted once. (laughs) So you tweeted twice. I retweeted my tweet. (laughs) I got to play Elon's in my head. But that was a phenomenal breakdown. I'll put that up against any breakdown that's been done before. More than Rolex? Ooh, Ooh. good question. Two different styles. Of breakdowns. Rolex is going to have more of a mass audience. Oh, he's going down that route. That's not going to need to do with you. It's the business. Como cachet. Just different interviews. That's all I'm saying. I'll stack it up against anyone. And I think there's a really interesting storyline with Restoration Hardware. But I walked away from that and I said that was an awesome interview. There's other ones that I didn't think were nearly as good. And they were the top performing breakdown for a while. So never know. Any strong closing questions, Tom? One question. I'm not sure it's strong, but it's a question. You got to like hammer it when it's a closing question. Yeah. Well, to close out, Eric, what is the least kind thing that anyone's ever done for you? <laughs> don't ask, that's hilarious. <laughs> is there anything that's really surprised you from just content in general and doing media? That's a f- terrible question. I told you. It was. <laughs> <sighs> I think celebrity and like notoriety, not like celebrity, like Brad Pitt celebrity, which is like having your name out there, whether it's on Twitter or a podcast. So like at Fidelity, in my prior life, the whole point was like, you're literally not allowed to do any of these things. So I was on Twitter, but I was just a watcher. Like I would never tweet. I would never like anything. I would just like read stuff. And then going to the other side of being a creator, opening up a Twitter account with my actual name, which I didn't do. I did anonymous for a while. Then I switched and then doing the podcast. There's definitely like pros and cons of it, of thinking about yourself as a creator and enjoying the creative process, but then also wanting privacy. There was a moment that still like rattles me that I don't feel good about where it was accidental, but someone asked me if I had kids. I answered the question on the podcast, but up until that point, I hadn't shared a single personal thing about myself. And I was kind of like happy that I was able to separate church and state a little bit of like, this is Eric, the personal, and this is Eric, the podcast host. And I think that probably holds you back a little ways that the people that are very vulnerable and share a lot of other, because I'm telling these people, like, I'm selfishly saying I'm trying to get this person to open up, yet I don't want to share myself. And not that I'm dealing with people like, oh, Eric, like you're from Web3 Breakdowns. I'm not doing any of that. I'm not worried about that. But I definitely think there's something about the flywheel that entrepreneurs and founders and creators get from having media combined with the desire for like privacy and your personal life. And so it's just something I think about. And I think about there's a pro of it, of it's where your ethics and integrity come from, of like, am I going to say this out loud? Versus the desire of like, I'm not someone who usually scripted myself or worried what I would say because the red lights were never on. I would just speak honestly. That can get you in trouble at times. And so I worry about that. I think that's why I don't listen to episodes because <laughs> I'm like, oh shit, I hope I said and say something <laughs> stupid. That's right. We're here to stop that. I'd worry about my tweets. I forget who we talked about. It's just it was an amazing one with Tim Urban. The amount of self-censorship that we do, probably the greatest critique is like, mine's over the top nervousness and self-censorship. And for some reason, once the podcast starts, I'm not as worried, which is probably dangerous. Well, you couldn't have a co-host who just tells the world that you're out on paternity leave. So the world knows you have kids without you even having to do it yourself. We could have said something worse. But it's interesting, on our merchandise episode, the debrief, I kind of vented, ranted about something where I just kind of went off the rails a little bit and I listened back to it and I was like, oh, that's awkward to have that 
in the public. Then I got a DM from a guy who was like, I loved this, pulled out the section. I was like, really? That was a little cringeworthy to me. Sure. So the DB is my favorite. This is like me pushing the exact opposite of what I just said. There was a guest I think you talked about where like they signed off. You're like, oh, I thought that went horrible. He didn't like (laughs) me or something. Eric Newsom is not a believer (laughs) and we are proving him wrong. But that was my favorite. It was like my favorite thing. Like he signed off and then you were like, shit. And I was like, that was so authentic and real. And everyone's felt that before. But I would never have said that. It's funny that Jeeves, because we toy between doing them immediately after and giving it a day or two to listen back and like come up with something interesting to say. Because often, like, you know, when you finished, you kind of remember the end of the conversation more than you do like the beginning. And there'll be some really good stuff at the beginning that you probably should be talking about. But then you miss out that kind of raw, like, what's the feeling right now? The thing on the self censorship thing is that back to the creator part, you have this funny thing of, oh shit, oh my God, I don't want to offend anyone. And then you're like, fuck, what if nobody listens? Like, it's not a thought <laughs> yeah. to your point of like, yeah. them, you're like, it's not that. Like, you're actually hoping people hear you. Yeah. Awesome. This has been phenomenal. Thank you, Eric, for joining us. Maybe it'll be the first of several. I would like to do this again. Perhaps not in such a beautiful place like this at Capitol. Can I get to be part of the debrief by myself? Uh, I don't know if we're actually doing a debrief for this yeah, one. Yeah, might, might you might get lucky. This is a debrief in itself. This felt a lot easier. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Next time we'll ratchet up. <laughs> yeah. But thank you for joining us. Yeah, thank you so much. Thank you for having me.